Good morning. Oh, no, no, no. Good morning. You made it to church. Woohoo! And if you're visiting for the first time, a big thank you for coming. And if you're watching online, which we know many of you are, big virtual hug. We're so happy to be gathered together. Amen. Such a blessing just to be together. Can we stand today and give God praise because he deserves it. Amen, church. And he's worthy. Here we go. Let's sing. Despite our circumstances, Lord, there is no one greater.
My mom was vibrant, warm and wise and full of joy. She brimmed with vigor that belied her years. She loved homemade juice with fresh fruit and veggies. She loved traveling the world with my dad. She loved her children and grandchildren, and they loved her. She loved story time and stuffed animals, the messy high chair meals and the, the footy pajamas. I always cherished having her for a mother, but as the grandma to my boys, my gratitude and respect for her burst my heart. The bond between my boys and my mom is one of the greatest treasures of my life. But then, her left arm began to move on its own. A few MRIs later, our idyllic family life was shattered. Mom had glioblastoma, the most aggressive form of brain cancer. What came next is all too familiar to so many people. The tests and treatments, the hopeful prayers and the tears, the person I loved so much fading away. Mom cared for her own parents until my grandma died at 99 years old. And only seven months later, my mother joined them in heaven. But this is not a story of despair. Sadness, yes, and loss, but not despair. This is a story of the hope of the gospel and the faithfulness of a God whose word is true. I know because his promises in scripture have come alive for me. In the most heartbreaking season of my life, God showed up. He showed up through this church family, their encouraging cards and sustaining prayers. He showed up in the truth of Romans 8.28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. During mom's illness, I saw old wounds healed and relationships deepened and restored. God showed up in the steadfast faith of my mother who looked to heaven with a readiness that inspired us all. Her hope became our hope. Her faith bore witness to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I always marveled at mom's peaceful disposition, sweetened by the fruit of the Spirit. The margins of her Bible bore countless handwritten notes, but one highlighted passage stands out. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things and the God of peace will be with you. I see my mom in that passage. The God of peace was with her and the tranquility of the heart that defined her life has begun to take shape in mine. In the depths of my heart where I expect to find despair, I find peace in its place. Instead of bitterness or anger, I find this comfort. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. In hardship we rejoice because God draws us ever nearer. We rejoice because one day we will all be together when he calls us home. Can we stand once again, church, and just sing out this anthem together? This is my story. This is my story. It's the song.
faithfulness. You may be seated if you are in here with us today. You know, I don't know about you, but I was ready to get through 2020. But then I entered into 2021, and I felt like I had a little bit of trust issues with the new year. And I think 2021 is proving to be difficult for so many. Just because we turned the calendar into a new year, these are tough times, which is why I believe there is no greater place and right in the presence of God. And that's what we are doing today. We've gathered where you are at home, if you're snuggled under a warm blanket by the fireplace, or if you're here in this room and you've braved the storm, we are all here because we want to connect our hearts to a faithful God, to a God who we can rely on God's promises and presence and truth and love and grace. So we just pray that wherever you are today, that you would open up yourselves to a God who just wants to give and give and give. So allow me to warmly welcome you this morning wherever you are. And perhaps you are tuning in for the first time or you are here in this space for the first time. We are so glad you're here. And no matter who you are, we as a church family, we wanna connect with you. We want to get to know you. We want to hear your story. And we want to help you on this path of getting to know God. So if you would like to take that next step this morning, you, you can go to christchurch.us slash new or you can text the number on the screen or we also, um, online, we have online hosts. Just say, hey, I wanna take the next step. And one of our hosts or pastors will take you there. You know, some of you might remember that at the end of 2020, Dan wrote a letter to our congregation that as we were navigating a pandemic and difficult financial times for so many of us, Dan pastorally encouraged us to remember that all that we have is, is a gift from God and to end the year strong. And Pastor Dan is at our Butterfield campus today because guess what, they are celebrating their three-year anniversary, hard to believe, but he wanted to share with you this morning God's goodness to us as a church. So go ahead and turn your attention to this video greeting from Dan. Hello, Christ Church family. Before we rush too far into this new year, I wanna just stop and marvel for a moment at how I saw God's grace working through you in the year just behind us. Despite all of the challenges and the weariness that I know you must have faced in 2020, so many of you just kept honoring God in your giving to our church's life. And I wanna say thank you for that. Because of your faithfulness, we were able to offer weekly worship services online and in person and in two styles. We were able to reach kids who were isolated by the pandemic and connect them with God and with each other. We found ways to do safe baptisms and weddings and funerals for families and their loved ones. We kept many of our adult discipleship groups going strong and reached out to shut in seniors. You provided food and supplies to hundreds of households living at the poverty line. And not only did your generosity make it possible for us to fully support all of our mission partners as usual, we were able to give them extra mile grants that helped them minister to people in their communities even more severely ravaged by the effects of COVID than many of us were. I know that some people have drifted away from church during these past months. They've gotten out of the habit or maybe just can't do church online. We'll all work very hard to recover those relationships in the year ahead. But the miracle of 2020 is that those of you who stayed engaged with our congregation and the new people God brought to Christ Church in this past season gave even more to our work in this tough last year than during the easier year before. How about that? Because of you, we finish strong. If you haven't already, you'll be receiving shortly from the church your 2020 giving statement, but I hope you will view it as much more than a tax document. Think of it as a statement of faith, a concrete evidence of your faithfulness. And whatever your story in 2020, I hope you will join me and others in writing the best possible story in 2021. Together, 
we can provide the moral vision, the spiritual strength, the practical help that the households and communities of our country need during these days. You can support that mission today by following the prompts you see on the screen, writing a check, or dropping off a gift in one of our boxes or baskets. And I want to say thank you for doing that. Thank you not just for attending church. Thank you for being Christ Church, a church that makes a difference for good. Wherever you are, can we just praise God for a moment? Did you hear that? 2020, that is a miracle and what God did. God did this. Only God, and if you're online, show those emojis and type in the chat bar, praise God, because only God, friends. It is a miracle. And you see, this moment for all of us is about looking at all that God has given us and saying, this is all but gift. And all that I have that has been given to me, what if we saw it as an opportunity to give so that the mission of God can continue to flourish in this world? That's the invitation in this moment. This isn't a drop in the bucket, but this is about a responding in thanks and gratitude for what God has done. And so as Dan shared there on the screen, we want to continue 2021 strong. And so you can give online or on your way out, but right now we want to give God thanks. So let's pray for a moment. Let's thank God. God, you are so good and generous to us. You give and you give and you give and you do not hold back. We thank you for your provision. We thank you that the mission of God is flourishing in this world. We thank you for the generous hands and hearts and lives with this in this church and the ways that you have used this church for your glory and for your kingdom. And so Lord, as we reflect on 2020 and all the hardship that it brought, we thank you that you are a way maker. We thank you that you are a miracle worker. And Lord, we pray that we as a church collectively would continue to steward our resources faithfully and diligently for your purposes in this world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all of God's people said, thanks. Thanks be to God. Well, next week, we are kicking off a new series called So This Is Love, where we want to focus on love and marriage. You know, I've been married for 15 years, and when Jeff and I began dating and we moved towards engagement, I can't tell you how many people came alongside of us and said, we're so excited for you, and just remember that marriage is hard work. I'm sure you've heard that before. And I was just so in love. I thought, we are so in love. We have so much butterflies and romance. It's not going to even be hard for us. And then year one hits, and guess what? It was hard. Marriage is hard work. And this pandemic for so many couples has exposed just how hard that can be. That is why we as a church, we want to collectively focus on marriage. However, there's going to be something for everyone. If you're single or if you're widowed, we want to focus on principles that can apply to all of us, though we are even focusing on marriage. So we are so excited for this series. We are going to have resources for you. We're going to have discussion guides for you. We're even gonna have a lot of fun and you'll hear more about that. And then on February 20th, we are going to end this with a digital date night and I am so excited about it. Pastor Pete Stern shared that with us last week. We're going to do a Zoom escape room, and he's, he said, us pastors, we're, we're a little competitive, so we're excited to compete against one another. And so you can learn more about this date night. We're partnering with local restaurants. You'll be able to sign up uh, for the uh, escape room. We're even gonna have an option for singles who wanna meet other singles in the escape room. How cool and how fun is that? And then we're gonna have a discussion guide. So you can find out more about this by going to Christchurch.us slash date night, or you can text the number on the screen and you'll get a link for more information. And finally, last but not least, as we said, it seems like there's just so much turmoil happening in the world. And what a better thing to do than just to simply 
pray. And so this Sunday, today, is our last Zoom prayer gathering where collectively we want to pray for our church, our community, and our country. And we're praying that God's purposes would continue to prevail through all of the turmoil that is happening in our world. And so you can find out more by going to Christchurch.us slash prayer gatherings, or again, text the number on the screen. Finally, we're gonna play a little game of Simon Says, wherever you are online or in here. If you're in the room, I want you to go ahead and stand up and stretch for a moment. And if you're watching online, I wanna invite you to pick up your phone or be prepared to type because we are so spread out with snowstorms and with pandemic, it's hard to remember that we aren't just a person of God, but that we're a people of God and that we are a community and that we truly do need each other. And so we just wanna invite you to see one another. So if you're in the room, I want you to turn around and just wave at one another and maybe wave at the camera. If you're online, give shout outs to one another. If you see someone on there that you know, or just say, hello everyone. And I tell you what, if you have your phones, go ahead and go to the live stream for a second and just say hello to our live stream community. You can go on Facebook or you can go onto our online platform on Vimeo and let's just greet one another. Let's pass a piece of Christ and let's celebrate that we aren't just holy individuals, but we are a people in community. Let's greet one another. Go ahead. All right, well, you may be seated. Thank you all for braving the weather and joining us today, or if you're at home, we hope you are cozy and comfortable as you tune in. I am Pete Stearns, and I'm one of our pastors here. And we're in the middle of a series in which the Israelite nation is on the precipice of entering into the promised land after a particularly difficult season of wandering. They're asking God, where do we go from here? And God is inviting them into a thriving life. Well, similarly, 2020 feels like the wilderness. And 2021, in many ways, feels filled with hope and expectation. And so we, too, ask God, where do we go from here? And today, I want to challenge us to release our grip on our expectations of God's response to us and instead allow ourselves to be drawn into the thriving strength of our good God. We live in a polarized world, in a world that tells us to pick sides. Uh, We're either Bears fans or I see our Lindsay family over here, we're Packers fans. Uh, We are either Instagram users or Twitter users. We're Republicans or we are Democrats. And this has kind of been the way of the world since the beginning of time, but I have found that it's been particularly heightened during 2020. Something about uh, not being in relationship with one another has put up some more walls for us. There seems to be more tension, more divide. And, And in fact, the schisms in our world, in our nation, and in our community are growing wider and wider. But more alarming, I find that the division in our church has become apparent. And I'm not talking about our church right here in this building, but I'm talking about the global church. You see, because we come at our worldviews and our ideologies assuming that God is on our side, assuming that God affirms our thoughts, our plans, and our way of engaging with the world. And when we do that as a church, it's easy for us to believe that anyone that thinks differently than us is not only wrong, but their thinking is morally unacceptable. In fact, for you to hold a different opinion than mine, since mine is clearly God's, you have denounced the faith And you are walking in opposition to our Lord. But you see, this assumption is predicated upon the belief that we are able to discern the will, the thoughts, and the plan of our infinite God. And 
in assuming that we are somehow able to discern even the greatest thoughts of our Lord, we have minimized our God to being predictable, knowable, and finite. Well, as we have read our Bibles together, we have found that our God is anything but predictable. You see, throughout Scripture, God seems to arrive in unexpected ways to tell a captivating story of thriving life. Take, for example, Abraham and Sarah. God comes to Abraham and Sarah when they are young and promises that from them a great nation will be born. Their children will number that of the stars in the sky and the grains of sand on the beach. I don't know about you, but if God said that to me, I would go into a full-blown panic as I started to think about how am I going to save for college for all of these kids. But God doesn't deliver their first child until they're elderly. God doesn't respond in a way that's predictable or even logical. Instead, God paints a story that can only point to him. Well, today we talk about another story that draws us into the thriving strength of God in an unpredictable way. But far more compelling is the way that the Israelites, in faithful obedience, humbly laid themselves before the plan of God rather than their own. So last week we left off Uh, with the Israelites crossing the Jordan River in rather spectacular fashion. God has again shown up in a big way and he has parted the seas and they walk through on dry ground. And now, after decades of wandering in the wilderness, being filled with hopelessness, they stand firm in the promised land, flowing with milk and honey. But the story's not over yet because this promised land is already occupied. And in fact, it is filled with the world power, the Canaanites, who are known for their fortitude, their strength. And in fact, as a symbol of the obstacle that stands in their path, immediately after crossing the river, the Israelites find themselves standing at the foot of the armored walls of the city of Jericho, a fortress like the world has never seen at this point and day. And it is in anticipation of somehow needing to follow God to occupy the promised land, to overthrow the pagan powers of that day, that Joshua, the newly appointed leader, finds himself wandering alone, probably lost in his thoughts, filled with anxiety. And as he is in isolation, he is approached by a stranger. And so we pick up that story in Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 14. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Now, this may not feel significant, but I want to put this interaction under the microscope. Joshua, remember, is the divinely appointed leader of God's chosen people. And the commander of the Lord's army, who is in fact an angel, the voice of God in this situation, comes to him and Joshua asks what seems to be a simple question. Are you the Lord on our side or on the side of the Canaanites? It would seem that the logical response would be that I am on the side of the Lord's people. But instead, the commander of the Lord's army responds, neither. You see, God is not interested in making alliances with the kingdoms 
of this world. Instead, all of scripture points to a God that is far more concerned with being, bringing glory to his kingdom, which is rooted in heaven. And, and throughout history, God has used his chosen people, his church, his disciples, to point not to their own glory, but instead to a glory that can only be held in eternity. And so as Joshua asks, are you on our side or the other? God says, no, no, you don't understand. You're on my side. Now, I and my wife are uh, fairly big road trippers. We love going out on, on, on trips together and, and exploring the, the country. And when we go on these road trips, uh, one of the things that I like to do is have a plan. And as we're starting to discover here, if we want to enter into the thriving faith of our God, we need to be careful not to confuse our plan with God's plan. Instead, we need to recognize that we are invited to be participants of, of his plan. That if we want to be a part of that thriving strength, we need to enter into his world, his kingdom, and point to his glory. Well, again, when I road trip, I have my own plan. And I make sure that plan is as efficient as possible. Anyone that knows me knows that I am all about efficiency, streamlining things, identifying any sort of risks or challenges or obstacles, and, and making contingencies to make sure that they don't cause problems. And so last spring, as the pandemic was upon us, my wife and I decided that we would take a road trip with our two boys who were two months old and two and a half years old at the time, and we would drive from our house to my brother's place in Richmond, Virginia, which is about a 14-hour drive, and we decided that we would drive through the night. And so I carefully choreographed this trip. I made sure to buy uh, snacks like Pringles that were cup holder compatible. You know, I don't want any messes distracting me. I had an Excel spreadsheet going by minute by minute which podcasts I would listen to as the rest of my family slept. I scheduled out a rotation of coffee and five-hour energy to keep me going. And I'll tell you, with two children in the car, we made a 14-hour trip and we stopped only once for gas, and the boys didn't get out of the car. You see, I love knowing the plan. And Brittany, who is often the co-pilot, knows that if she really wants to get under my skin, because she's kind of bothered by my hyper-focus on the plan, then she's just going to give me one direction at a time. Because that's going to drive me nuts, because I want to know the next five steps. I don't want to just know the next turn. I want to know the turns that follow that so that I can begin preparing for those, so that I can look for, for road signs and different things that would indicate they're coming. And so you can imagine that I struggle following a God that does not have a predictable plan. That I struggle in the tension of wanting to know the next five years of my life while also wanting to be faithful in obedience to my God. You see, I want to tell God my plans. I want to tell him my political beliefs, my worldviews, my pastoral aspirations, and I want him to rubber stamp them and say, yep, that's right. But you see, we don't follow a God that allows us to make the plan and have God give us input. Instead, God is constantly producing for us unexpected ways of living that draw us into a focus on heaven. So I wanna go back to our story today because when we think about our own plans and when we think about God's plan, the second those plans become strategic and efficient and predictable, then we can be confident that God is no longer in them because the way that God acts in the scripture that we will read today is entirely unexpected. And so there are basically two characters that we know by name in the account of uh, the fall of Jericho. 
We know Joshua, the leader of the Israelites, but we also know Rahab. And Rahab is a pagan Canaanite prostitute. Now, if you and I were mapping out God's plan for, for how Israel would overcome uh, their oppressors, we likely would not have scripted the hero to be a prostitute from the other side. But God does in an unexpected way. And her testimony and her story points out to us the type of thriving obedience and faith that God calls us to. So let's look in Joshua 2, verses 1 through 7. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. And at dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had really taken them to the roof and hidden them under stalks of flax. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone, the gate was shut. You see, the Israelites had come up with a strategic plan. They had specifically chosen Rahab's home as their base camp for spying on the city of Jericho. And, and you see, it makes sense because if, if two men are to travel to a city, where's the one place they can go without having people ask too many questions? The house of a prostitute. And so they probably think they're pretty clever with this idea. They're going to go in and out without anyone suspecting anything. But somehow, the king of Jericho becomes wise to their plan. And apparently, these Israelites were not exactly master spies themselves because Rahab, without any sort of military background, without any sort of reconnaissance background, immediately identifies them as the Israelites. She knows that they're spies. And at this point in the story, the gig should be up. The calculated plan of Joshua and his troops has failed. Rahab's going to turn them in to her, her authorities. And they're going to be taken away before Jericho then descends upon the Israelite encampment of these nomads who are laying about by the river. But instead, Rahab is compelled by faith in a God that she does not even know. She has likely heard stories of how God has provided for the Israelites. She has seen how he parted those rivers and she recognizes a glory that is not bound by the kingdoms and the plans of humanity and decides that she will enter in faithful obedience into this plan. And so under the threat of certain death, she betrays her country, her people, her leaders, and she harbors these spies. And her reward for doing so is that she is the only non-Hebrew remembered in the great hall of fame in Hebrews chapter 11. It is said that her faith is, is what saves her, and in fact, she becomes an ancestor of Joseph, the father of Jesus. You see, God shows up in an unexpected way. God's plan doesn't line up with what the Israelites had planned. God's plan doesn't line up with what the logical steps would have been for us to take. Instead, he does something controversial. He pushes the bubble, he does something unpredictable, and he chooses the least likely person to be the hero in the story. And so today, I want to challenge us. If we want to enter into the thriving strength of our God, we need to fight the temptation 
to assume that we are somehow a credible judge of God's plan. In humility, we must release our grip on this notion that we know exactly what God wants, that we know exactly what God is planning, because when we do that, it minimizes the Lord that we purport to follow. Well, my son Shepard has recently learned the story of Jericho, and he's a big fan. He basically wants to build Jericho every single day with whatever he has at his disposal. Here's a picture of him building the walls of Jericho with a Rubbermaid tub and some snow. And so every night after I'm done with work, Shepard asks me, Daddy, will you come build Jericho with me? And of course I say yes. But on one particular day, it had been rather exhausting. I was probably on 11 hours of Zoom calls. And, and I came into his, his room and I was just feeling wiped. And so I sat down on the floor and I laid down beside him as he built with his blocks. And I pulled a total dad move and told him that I was going to need to rest my eyes for a moment. And so I'm laying there kind of in and out of sleep. And I began to hear Shepherd's little feet marching around his block Jericho. And he's like me, he likes to follow the plan. And so he marches around that little city seven times. And at the end, he kind of stirs me from my sleep by shouting as loud as he can, just like the Israelite army does. And he pauses and I hear his little voice say, it didn't work. And I sit up at this point and, and I say, Shepard, what didn't work? He said, Jericho didn't fall down. You see, it's sweet to see this story through the eyes of a child, but I find it interesting that even a three-and-a-half-year-old recognizes that God's plan for the destruction of Jericho makes no sense. It simply shouldn't work. You see, Joshua, or God using the commander of the Lord's army, speaks to Joshua And he says this to them. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. It doesn't make sense. The Israelites are trying to conquer one of the greatest fortresses the world has ever known. And instead of giving them plans for trebuchets and battering rams, God instead instructs them to take a hike, to go out and get their steps in. Now, it seems pretty obvious why God gives these instructions because in doing so, he presents the Canaanites no other assumption than to see his glory. The Canaanites will not be afraid of the Israelites' military prowess. Instead, they will be afraid of a God that is all powerful. God gives these instructions because it would become impossible to attribute the success the Israelites find to something that is rooted in an earthly kingdom. But what I find more compelling about this is that the Israelites actually do it. They step out in a particularly vulnerable situation Instead of storming the city walls under the cover of night, instead of standing at range and and firing arrows to thin out the guardsmen, they walk in the light of day, unprotected, vulnerable, and uncomfortable. Why? Because they are obeying their God. They are willing to make themselves uncomfortable, to bring God his glory. You see, my challenge is that if, if I don't have a plan, 
If I don't know the next five steps, then what am I really supposed to do, God? If I don't know that you're on my side, then then how am I supposed to act? Because supporting a plan is far easier than executing it. Supporting a plan is far easier than obeying instructions. I mean, think about our New Year's plans or resolutions. How many of us set lofty goals for ourselves and have already failed less than one month in? I've stopped doing New Year's resolutions because they're so disheartening to me. How many of us have have crafted beautiful five and 10 year plans only to revise them months in because clearly we're not going to meet our standards and maybe scrapped them all together after a year. You see, this is why I think politics is so divisive because we can stand on one team or another by casting a vote and not actually having to change our behaviors at all. But if we are to be drawn into the thriving strength of God, we, like the Israelites, must enter into faithful obedience in the here and the now. We must do things that God is laying on our hearts that is, that is, is telling us in Scripture that don't make sense, that might actually put us in a vulnerable position, that might make us feel uncomfortable. Because by behaving differently, by following God's instruction to us, by obeying, we set ourselves apart from the nations of this world. And suddenly, people look at us and say, they're different. They live differently. They don't get caught up in the structures and the systems of this world. They love radically. They give generously. kindness and joy exude from their spirit. And when they see that, they are drawn not to our plan, but instead to our God. If we want to be drawn into the thriving strength of God that we see here in this account of Jericho, we must obey even when it does not make sense. Because it is in our obedience, in our action, that we are set apart from the world around us. Back when I was uh, first serving as our middle school pastor, uh, I had been given an opportunity and and was invited to um, speak at a local public school, a gathering with students that didn't necessarily have a faith background. And and I was excited for this chance because this was going to be a place to to mold the community, to invite people to experience God in a new way. And so I sprung at the opportunity and absolutely had a blast working with these kids, hearing their stories, and, and challenging them to a different way of living. Afterwards, I left feeling just energized. God had clearly uh, given me this chance to speak to a group that, that, that didn't necessarily have a chance to hear his gospel otherwise. And I, and I was just on fire, almost one of these faith highs. But a couple days later, I received a letter that kind of changed things for me. It was a letter from the administrator that had invited me. And, and it was just a simple thank you. And enclosed in the thank you note, was a small stipend as an affirmation for what I had done. And as a young youth pastor that was struggling to make ends meet, suddenly this began to change my motivations for obedience. Because now, being able to to teach and spread the gospel in my community had a financial incentive tied to it. Now, I sought out these opportunities because certainly one, because I wanted to have that influence on our community. I wanted to point others to God, but, but two, there was also an earthly reward for me and it would really help with paying the bills. Well, you see, God recognizes this same temptation and the same potential for a perversion of motivations in the Israelites as they approach Jericho. And so he offers them this stern warning in chapter 6, verse 18. God says, but keep away from the devoted things, 
so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. You see, God knew that if the Israelites, and in turn us, experienced earthly riches because of their obedience, their motivations would begin to shift. If obedient faith turns into a five-step action plan to earthly reward, then it suddenly loses its intention to point to heaven and instead roots ourselves back at the center of our plan. As we follow God, we will experience seasons of blessings. God will inevitably gift us rewards in tangible ways here on earth. But if we follow God, we too should also expect seasons of trials and challenges. I mean, look at the persecuted church who experienced the loss of loved ones, physical pain because they glorify the same God that you and I do. And that they don't have the same blessings. Think about the church of the developing world who worship the same Lord but go to sleep with hunger in their bellies. You see, our God is not here to affirm our plans. He is not here to accelerate our success. He is here to draw us into his thriving strength, which points the world to his glory. And if we want to be faithful to obey God and enter into that thriving strength, then we must always test the motivations for our obedience and do everything that we possibly can to root out all forms of perversion so that we might stay focused on God and his plan. Because when we ask him the question, whose side are you on? He says, neither. But then invites us to be on his side. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are a God that has a plan. And Lord, we admit that in our arrogance, we want to propose a different one. We want to ask you to come alongside and support our plan. We want to assume that you are predictable, that you are knowable, that you are finite. But Lord, we are thankful that you are not. For your plans are greater than ours. Your ways are greater than ours. Your thoughts are greater than ours. May we enter into your thriving strength so that we might participate in the glory of your heavenly kingdom that stands firm even when the nations of this world crumble and fall away. We pray this in your name. Amen. Church, let's stand together. Sing these words as a way to respond to what we've heard. To sing our hearts to God. Just let your hearts sing out. There is love. There is love that came for us. Humble to a sinner's cross. Broke my shame and sinfulness. Rose again, victory.
was the motivation for all of our actions, that we obey so that God's name may be lifted higher. Over the course of this series, we have been praying together corporately, uh, a prayer that we've put together uh, based on the wanderings of the Israelite people. And so today, I want you to grab one of these prayer cards uh, out in our our atrium, or if you're online, uh, click the link uh, to dive into this get together. But let's pray this in this season. And today, let's pray this together as we follow along with the words on the screen. Lord Jesus, we ask that we may be strong and courageous by the power of your spirit. Lord, in asking this, we know it is our responsibility to open our hearts and minds up to your transforming grace by the truth of your word. In our lives, Lord, may fear and discouragement be displaced by trust in you and love in action by the grace of your transforming presence. And all God's people pray together. Amen. Now let's receive this benediction that comes to us from Joshua chapter one and is predicated upon the understanding that we are following after God's side, that in all we do, we do it to lift his name higher. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You may go in peace. Amen.